Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to Practical Theology. Last time I was on, I talked about coming back after I wrapped up the series and just doing a podcast on divine attributes. And one of those attributes that I mentioned was omnipresence. And if I was to easily define this, it'd be that God is everywhere present. You know, like omniscience is God all-knowing. So usually the word, the omnic idea means all or everything. This idea of being everywhere present. We'll define this more and we'll look at particulars of it. But I think it's easy to be too narrow or too limited on our understanding of this and not even realize it. You know, like even in our subconscious or the way we act. And it'll be fun to go through a bunch of these little tests. They mean a lot to me when I first heard this lesson or thought about it. Um, it really did change my perspective on my relationship with God. And, and I'll give you an example of having too narrow of a definition. My cousin has a daughter and she was really young. She was like four or five at the time. And she was over at grandma's house and she was in the house and there's a dog named Sparky. And Sparky went to the door and barked and she looked at grandma and she goes, Grandma, why is the dog barking? Oh, he needs to go outside. He probably has to go to the bathroom. Grandma, where does Sparky go to the bathroom? Because she goes to the bathroom inside in a toilet, but there's no toilet outside. Grandma says, oh, he goes over probably under a tree somewhere. Grandma, how does Sparky lift up the tree? Right? So there's a great and it, the grandma laughed. It was, it's a fun, it's to this day, I still smile when I, I repeat that story or think about it, but it just shows like how we can sometimes understand a word and fully understand it, but we're not thinking fully about it or we don't have the proper context of it. So we're going to do that with the idea of God being present or what does it mean that God is present everywhere? First passage I want to look at is Psalm 139, seven through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light come become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. I like how he's got these different perspectives, not just geographical, but light and dark. I think it's important for us to know that Whatever we're going through, wherever we're at, whether it's light or dark, whether or not it's in a foreign country, whether or not it's in war or in peace, whether or not it's in happiness or in sadness, God is present. He's not abandoning you to something. He's not leaving you for something like, oh, if you're not being good, I'm not going to be there. No, he's present everywhere. There's a flip side to that too, not just internally, but externally. Let's read Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? The reason why I like this one is because it's easy to sit there and say, well, where's God in relation to us? But to also remember that as things like war or injustices are going on all over the world, that he's present there, that he sees those things. The very first podcast we did was on justice for this series. And I think that's super important to think about that people aren't getting away with things in foreign countries or in neighboring cities or towns. Like, God sees these things. He's there present with these things. 
So I just like all of this to kind of start getting an idea of what presence means. God also doesn't just reside on heaven or on earth. And this is a common mistake that people make where they just even subconsciously see it. But let's read some passages about this. Psalm 123.1 I lift up my hands to heaven, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. Now here we get this practice where we raise our hands. Maybe we even sometimes if we're upset or frustrated, you know, or if we're praying, we look up to heaven like, God, why won't you help? Almost like we're speaking to him, like because we're projecting our voices upward. And it's easy to get into the subconscious. We even see it in scripture here in this passage I read. But look, to say that that we're doing this, one, heaven is a real place. Okay, heaven is a real place. And so if somebody's raising their hand typically in scripture or even both hands, typically it's that they're making a vow. Looking up to heaven, sure, that's fine. You're also appealing to like the idea that God is transcendent or above us. That's perfectly fine too. But it can easily get into the idea that he's only above us when there's this balance in, in theology that they talk about, which is transcendence and imminence. The idea that God is above and way beyond us and also the God, that God is with us. And Christ is the like the definition of those two combined, right? Both him being flesh and being God, the idea of transcendence and eminence meet to both 100%. How about this passage, uh, John 4, 24? God is spirit. I think this is important too to, to understand omnipresence. We can't put a physical limitation on God, like saying, well, he can't be in other places. This is how this is possible. Spiritually, he doesn't have a finger or an arm. And even when you see these in scriptures, these are what they call theophanies. These are imageries that God is using to communicate to somebody to help them. But it doesn't mean that God has his back, for example, when Moses is on Mount Sinai and sees God as he passes by. Um, This would be more of a theophany where God is projecting something to help the person or the subject in in the passage understand something. How about 1 Kings 8.27? Now, this is Solomon, and Solomon has an understanding of God. And I think this shows some humility on Solomon's part, where he's talking about the temple and God's relation to it. 1 Kings 8.27. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? See, Solomon knows a temple doesn't contain God. And so he's like, I'm building you this temple, but like, I, I can't do this justice. Like he, he, he did a great job building the temple. He did what God asked him to do. David wasn't allowed to do it. Solomon was going to do it. Solomon does it. And there's, you know, it's not like it's flawed, but Solomon understands something. He understands that it's, it doesn't really hold him. This is another object thing that's used to, to hopefully teach people. So nonetheless, it's an important lesson, but to know that even Solomon, when building the temple, a place that was looked at as holy, understands that God isn't just contained in the temple. Paul also shares this lesson. In, in Acts 17, 24 through 28, Paul is in Greece and he's in Athens and he is standing on a place called Mars Hill or the Areopagus, which is where a lot of people met to discuss ideas. And in the background of the Areopagus is this bigger hill where the temples are located on top of, specifically the temple Nike, um, the god of victory, and the, the big temple, the Parthenon, which is the goddess Athena, the god of war. And those are sitting up there, and as he's giving this, this is the geographical context of what he's saying in this passage. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. I can just imagine him pointing up or people seeing this in the background. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. 
From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that man would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, the one thing I want to point out with that is Paul is talking about this thing, how he doesn't live in hands, but he's not far from each one of us. He knows that applies to everybody who's listening to this. And he's trying to say, look, he's, he's always present with you wherever. He's not in this building behind me. And it should have given the people at that time, especially like, I don't have to go to the temple to be in God's presence. What kind of God is this that Paul is talking about? A God that is always with me and he doesn't sound like he's always torturing me. This would have been the gospel, right? The good news to hear about a God that's present with you, a God that's not abandoning you, a God that doesn't forsake you like that. That is significant. The listeners would have been interested in this and he's not far from them. Maybe to clarify some things, this verse 28 here where it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. There are two movements or two thoughts that are wrong in this concept. And one is called pantheism. And this is the idea that the world is God and everything in it. God is is the rock. The natural universe is God. And, And this is the wrong definition. This isn't what we mean by God is everywhere present. We don't mean that he's every piece of matter, every every molecule. We don't mean it like that. The other mistake is what is called panentheism, not to be confused with the first one I said, which is pantheism. So you have pantheism and panentheism. Panentheism is the idea that the universe is contained within God, like God is this big spherical orb and like everything inside of it is, is, um, is God. So everything inside of God. And with that, those would be two mischaracterizations. We're not trying to say that. Remember this, the idea that God is present or God is spirit. We don't want to sit there and just lump them into all this physical matter. So we have to remember it's a spiritual thing. It's not a material thing. We don't need to worship the rock. We don't need to, like, that's not how this works. God is spiritually present everywhere. There's another passage at the end of Matthew's gospel. And Jesus is talking to them and he knows he's about to leave, right? And he is trying to encourage them. He's going to be like, look, I won't be physically present with you, but don't think that I'm, I'm gone. And so I think he's, he's trying to reinforce a concept. And here's what he says. He says in Matthew 28, 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He wants them to know that even though he won't be there, that he's always there. This sounds odd. It sounds like a conundrum maybe. And it's like, well, He wants them to know that he is, remember we talked about this transcendence and imminence concept, that he is both the God above and the God present, that even though he's not physically present like that in the flesh of Jesus, he's still present with us. So he's trying to get that comfort to them and understand that. The idea of the Holy Spirit residing with us, this is important to know with God's presence. I remember when I was growing up, and I I might have even told this story before, but my brother and I would be playing in a room and... um, probably up to no good, probably doing something we shouldn't have been doing, shooting darts at each other or something. And all of a sudden, Dad would show up and be like, hi, Dad. Be really quiet, guilty, like just acknowledge his presence because we didn't know what else to say. We were caught. We were guilty. Um, But you definitely, in that situation, weren't acting like Dad was in the room, right? Like if Dad was in the room, would you be doing those same things? Probably not, right? So this concept that, trying to encourage us like, hey, remember, I'm always present with you is also not just, hey, when you are when you need help, I'll be there. 
But also, hey, remember, I get to see everything. And you want to be honoring of, of me when, you're, when I'm gone physically because I'm still with you. And I think that's an important lesson for us too as Christians to remember that it, not God is always watching you, so be careful. But maybe an idea that, you know, like the father would inspire what I hope my kids do, which is keep in mind that he is always present, that you can dishonor him. You know, that just because he's not around doesn't mean that you're free to act however you want. People even do this with the idea of a building of church. We just talked about he doesn't reside in building, but man, that, that is a thing, isn't it? Like, oh, I can't walk in that church. It'll burn down. I've heard people say that, you know, people who aren't Christians or who don't consider themselves Christians. And I always like to point out at that point, I'm like, actually, it wouldn't matter anyway. God's everywhere, you know, just to, just to kind of plant that shoe or pebble in their shoe. But Christians even do this. I've even heard them say, like, we can't say that in church. Why? Why does that change that while somebody, you know, important might hear or, well, somebody important always hears. So I I think that it's hard for us. And I know what they mean. Like, I understand that there's that hiddenness about God. And that's important to remember. I mentioned this in a message one time. Absence and hiddenness are important to understand the difference between them. God isn't absent because we can't see him. He's definitely more of, in a way, from a spiritual element, more hidden is a better way I would say that. He's still somewhere around. He's still here. But just because you don't know exactly how you're going to see him doesn't mean he's absent. And so I think that's an important thing for us to remember in our actions and how we act, this idea of changing the idea of hidden versus absent. Another classic verse is Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I like that one just because it's a very personal one. You are with me. Not that you're just everywhere present, but God, you are with me. And I think that's important for people to remember. Whatever you're going through, good or bad, God is with you. You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I think that that's trying to define a pretty dark scenario. And maybe it would be encouraging if we remember that he's always there. Maybe we can't see him in one certain way, but maybe to remember he's always there, having that presence of mind, I think, and it does, it has changed for me. You know, when I started to remember that he's everywhere present, it does make me more comfortable standing up to things or saying things or doing various actions, knowing it's like, God knows my heart on this. He knows what's going on right now. And despite that might look awkward outside to somebody, God knows what's actually going on. I don't have to worry about what somebody's going to report. I know what he, he actually knows what's real. So let's, let's look at some of these different little tests that I do. How many times have you prayed for somebody like, let's say a missionary or somebody that's going away and you're like, God, be with so-and-so as they go to college. Okay, stop there. By now, you might have already picked up on what I'm going to say, but do you understand how that kind of is a meaningless statement? Like, when you say, God, be with somebody, he's omnipresent. He, he is with them. Um, so why, why are you saying that? Well, two reasons. Maybe you're trying to remind the person, right? I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on this, clearly. Um, or that you're trying to remind yourself that they're going to be with them. But you're really stating the obvious. What I have caught myself doing is the reason why I say that 
is because I haven't thought about what else to say. You know, it's like, God, be with them as they go out. It's like, but what do you want God to do for them? Like, why are you praying that way? I like this verse, James 4, 2. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. This has really convicted me. All the students that I've ever talked to when I've, I've talked about this particular lesson, they know when I pray out loud, and I, I still have a habit, I, I occasionally do this, where I still say, God be with, and I pause every time I say it and just think about what I just did. And is it a sin? No, it's not a sin. Why am I pausing on it? Because I know I'm being lazy. I know that I'm afraid to sit there and think about what that person needs and what to ask God for. Afraid might be a strong word, but like I just, it, it takes some energy. It takes some effort. So this forces me, I think, to pray more directly. And I think it's beneficial. I think it's helpful. How many, you know, going back to that idea of like when you walk into a church and how you have to be better, you know, you have to be like more living proper or doing the right things or churchy things. That's the other thing that I think is a test for me. Do you find yourself actually doing that? And if so, why? Like truly why? You know, like sit down and think about this because it's not because God is present in the church and he's not present outside. So then ask yourself, why are you why are you doing that? And should you be doing that? The answer is clearly no. You, you, you should be doing the right things wherever you're at. The type of worship, the community you have at church, sure, you should be encouraging one another. Maybe that would be the biggest thing. It's like, well, I don't want to mislead other people. Well, if you're doing it at home, you're misleading the most important people God has given you. You know, so it's like, if you're going to do something at church, you sure as heck better not do it at home. Right? Like, wait a minute. I think I said that wrong. The point is, if you're not willing to do something at church, you shouldn't be willing to do it at home like that. If it's not honoring to God with speech or action or the way you treat people, you should be treating your family as good as you would treat somebody at church. There should be no difference there. So that's also something that I've thought about over the years. Is I'm like, you know, it's interesting how I might talk to my kids or talk to my wife. Uh, would I say that in front of other people, in front of my Christian community? If not, why am I doing it at home? Because the most important person I know of, God, can still hear me. All right, one last test question, all right? There is a passage that says, pray continually. It is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says, 16 is rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How do you pray continually? Right? Like you can't, you can't just be bowing your head with your eyes closed all the time, like while you're driving. You're going to have to fall asleep at some point. You're going to want to eat. It's going to be challenging to do that with your head bowed and, you know, hands clasped in front of you and speaking. Well, maybe this is because our definition of prayer isn't the same either. Maybe we should think of prayer maybe a little bit more openly too with that. If God is present always, maybe our actions are part of our praising of God. The idea of praising him in our thoughts, you know, in what we do. It's interesting to think of um, a funny story. When I first got married, I was 
coming home from work, 30 minute drive. It was a long day at work. Walked in the house, opened the door, dropped my bag, walked around the corner, walked into the room and I got startled. There to my right was a person standing there. And I had a blank look on my face, like what's going on? And these, this is all in the flash of a second, right? And it, as you're guessing, it was my wife. And she looked at me and she says, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you just startled me is all. And she could tell by the expression on my face that it wasn't like she startled me. She could tell that there's something else. And she goes, did you not think I would be here? Did you forget that I was here? And I sheepishly had a look on my face. And then she goes, you forgot we were married? And I did. I, I had forgotten, like in this brief snippet of time, that I had a wife and she was going to be at the house. And so I, I was, we didn't live together before we were married. And so, you know, it was a new experience for me. I I'd been living in this house for quite some time. Um, and yeah, I was so used to going through that routine that I forgot that person was there. And I think we do the same thing with God. I think that there are times that we forget, we get lost in our thoughts or what's going on. And we forget this idea that he's present and that we can talk to them there's a relationship. I also think it's interesting in the same context, being married, um, if, if I was sitting in a, in a room with my wife, you would say that she's present, right? But we wouldn't have to be talking to acknowledge the presence. I would be able to acknowledge her presence by bringing two glasses of water if I brought one back instead of one or by you know picking up something or walking around her. And there are ways you can acknowledge somebody in deed and action. If I was to leave and my wife was present in the room and I was to go and grab the glass of water and bring it back, I'm acknowledging her presence when she's not physically there, but even when I'm in the other room, I'm grabbing two glasses of water. When I'm out grocery shopping, if I'm buying something for my wife or if I'm out um, doing anything with the idea of, okay, what's this going to do for my wife and my children, for example? If I'm mowing the yard or if I'm picking up sticks or if there's something sharp on the ground and I pick it up so that no one else could cut... I'm acknowledging the presence of someone else. And so this idea of praying continually, praising God continually, can take place in your day-to-day life with always acknowledging his presence. Like, what's the right thing to do from a Christian perspective? God, when you wake up, you know, hey, help me today. Be good. You know, help me to honor you, to bring light to people, to help them see more of you. When you go to bed, thanking God for what's happened or telling him what your concerns are about for the next day. Acknowledging him in every part of your walk, when you talk to your children, when you talk to your parents, you know, when you talk to coworkers that are very frustrating to you, you know, always remembering that you can bring honor, praise to him, and he's praiseworthy in your actions and deeds. And that's how you can pray continually. But that would be always being mindful of his presence. You know, always being mindful like he's somebody there to consider to be in a relationship with. Well, anyway... This idea of presence did change me um, in my actions, in my deeds, in thinking of others when I'm by myself, when thinking of what God would think when I'm by myself. And I hope it transforms you too. I hope now when I finish this and I say, go and live it out, that I would say, go and live it out in his presence.